Hashtag SAFMBTH. It's a 16 minutes now before 4 o'clock. We're in conversation next with uh, Isabel Fry, who is the founder and executive director of the Social Policy Initiative. So according to Oxfam's latest uh, briefing, Inequality Inc. released this week, South Africa is still the most unequal country in the world, while Oxfam estimates it will take 230 years to end global poverty at the current rate. Meanwhile, the wealthiest five men in the world have doubled their fortunes since 2020, and we could see the first trillionaire on earth within the next um, 10 years. Isabel Fry is now joining us on the line. Isabel, good afternoon. Thank you so much for making time for us. Um, Is this report sobering at all? Good afternoon, Aldrin. And um, just a shout out to all your listeners, beginning of 2024. It's a really well-timed report. And I think releasing Davos as Oxfam does is really a good way to get people to stop and think. It's sobering indeed because the issue about inequality is that it keeps on heading us out um, and we're just not able to maintain a a future um, in terms of which there is solidarity but also in terms of which people are able to meet their basic needs. So we're looking at political instability, social instability and the interesting thing Aldrin actually is that in this year of 2024 we've got 64 countries in the world facing elections. So where you have inequality and you don't have political stability you have a situation where it's really not predictable which way the polls will go. So all in all this is a call for us to do something quite drastic. And the, the figures released by Oxfam are quite shocking. And, and what do those drastic measures look like? Also, what is leading to this um, exacerbated inequality? Because as Oxfam is pointing out as well, is that the inequality gap even between the global north and the global south is widening. Yeah, uh, the analysis was really useful because it showed that the the gap between the North and the South is definitely widening. And also the point of the the, the role of global corporations, I mean, that's why this report was called Inequality Inc., uh, just to draw attention to the fact that corporations are uh, exacerbating their profits. And the, the three main reasons for this is, firstly, looking at monopolies, so uh, particularly monopolies in the global north that use the south for cheap labor, uh, cheap inputs, and they, they don't play by the rules because uh, the what rules that would guide them in the global north. So firstly, exploitation. Um, secondly, the using the monopolistic structure, the share of profits are going to shareholders and not to workers and also not to government. So the Oxfam report shows how in country upon country, Big corporations have successfully lobbied governments to say cut corporate taxes so that we can continue to do business. And that's really one of the, the critical points of this paper is to say how much power uh, do governments have over corporations because it should be governments who regulate and say this is where we're setting corporate taxes. But in fact what we've seen is that there is a an unhealthy um, coming together of interests between the political elite and the business elites and so you have a race to the bottom cutting taxes mm. and so the impact of that is that public goods such as state healthcare, state education, policing across the world is suffering and, and again it's the corporations who are not paying the taxes who are saying well the government services are so poor you need to privatize and so um, 
eventually what you're going to see is almost a, a ruling, a governing by mm. the private sector, which goes directly into the hands of a very few stakeholders. So you've seen the five uh, richest men getting richer. And in fact, another shocking point was that in the 20 to 22 period, uh, uh, 2020 to 2022 period, um, the wealth has increased of the of the richest has increased three times faster than inflation. So you and I, I'm assuming you're not a billionaire. Um, so I never we, know. We're sitting. <laughs> no, I know. I suddenly thought I can't take assumptions. But we're being hit by inflation and cost of living the world over, whereas the richest are actually accumulating wealth at three times the rate of inflation. So this inequality is. Um, it's just deepening yep. uh, without an apparent attempt um, or, or courage by state governments to say enough is enough. Give it back to the people. We know in our country, at least, we have a social welfare system that has been lauded. I just quickly want to play a clip from the president of the ANC um, during the January 8 celebrations uh, that were taking place in Mbombela, in Mbumalanga. And just listen to what the president had to say about the, um, about the social grants and how, for instance, in 1999, we had 2 million people that were um, receiving social grants. That number has now increased to um, 28 million and I wonder if that is a good thing or not. Unfortunately we are struggling to find the clip um, but Isabel just summing up on what the president had to say 1999 just over 2.5 million uh, people who were on social grants and now uh, in 2023 28 million people on social grants. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Um, are there concerns that we should read into um, these stats? So Aldrin, I think that we should move away from saying good or bad. Um, and there's a reason for this, because if it, actually what we're seeing is, firstly, it's really good because in 1999, we still were looking at the legacy of the apartheid state. So the exclusion of the majority of South Africans from any welfare kind of situation was bad. So it's really good that there is a much more inclusive um, registration and, and benefits of people. What is very worrying is that we've got 11.7 uh, million adults unemployed. Each year, 800,000 people enter the labor market. Now, we don't have a plan uh, to ensure that those people have jobs. Now, Social Security, instead of being seen as grants, we've just re released research with it, SPY, which shows that Social Security is actually the best economic policy for growing the economy. So from the econometric modeling that we've done, we've shown that if you include everybody, everybody under a universal basic income, you can grow the economy by 4.5% and create millions of jobs, taxing it back from yeah. the wealthy. And so you actually invert the means test, you don't exclude the most vulnerable, and you ensure that everybody has money in their pockets they can buy. If you buy, you stimulate demand, manufacturing, create jobs, and so you've got a virtual circle, virtuous circle, which is the exact opposite of what Inequality Inc. is talking yeah. about, where you're taking all the profits into the hands of a few. But, but if you have 28 million people that are on social grant, and if you look at the criteria to be on social grant, it means, um, for one at least, that um, amongst at least the people who are receiving the SRD grant, that you, that you must be unemployed. Um, and these are people that we are also speaking about that are poverty stricken. I have a concern when the number increases to 28 million and we don't really see more people actually being employed and people being able to take care yeah. of themselves without uh, having to rely on the state. So we must remember that 17 million of the 28 million are children. We don't want them to be in employment and a further 3 million are Well, you want the parents to be able to take care of them. 
So you're talking about the means testing coming yeah. through. So yeah, we can't get away from the fact that we have the most unequal country in the world, which means that many millions of people, 60% of South Africans are living in poverty. So we have the unemployment problem as a cutting of off of means to income. And we have the existence of 60% of people in poverty. So the question is, what are we doing about them? I think many people have a fear that you don't want to have everybody on grants. But if you look at some of the really successful Scandinavian countries like Sweden, Denmark, Norway, the ones that are prosperous, everybody there is entitled to a benefit. And as they get richer, they tax that back, they pay that back. So we shouldn't be looking at the question of um, a, a social welfare state as being an anathema. We should see that as being the most developmental approach. I mean, countries, liberal countries like the UK and the US, um, state assistance is seen as an indication that you're a failure. Whereas in the most prosperous countries, it's seen as being a badge of citizenship that people wear with honor and then pay back into it. So we need to be thinking, um, the, the short, long and short of it is we can't create 12 million jobs overnight. Yeah, we and, don't and, and, have and, that economic growth. And, and that's the issue is if you're going to have an increased number of people relying on the state for an income, um, because we know that the social grant and social welfare is supposed to be there, as, uh, perhaps even as an interim measure, that at some point the person mm -hmm. will be or the family will be able uh, to take care of themselves. Like, for instance, even with NSFAS, you have all of these graduates that are being churned out by universities, and after they graduate, then what? Yeah, I mean, 800,000 of people who apply for social relief of distress are graduates, so that's a big question. It's, I mean, that, that's another concern, is that it's not just undereducated people who are yeah. unemployed. But I want to take us back um, out to that point, and it, it's something that we need to get our heads around. Um, people, the state used to talk about people graduating off social grants. I really think that we need to see social benefits as being part and parcel of the income package that everybody has. So you get income coming in, whether it's from the state, whether it's from your employer, whether it's black tax from your family members, you use it and you get taxed and you use and, and, and you then hand that back to the state, whether it's through VAT, through income tax. And so what we found with means testing is that firstly, it acts as a disincentive. If you look at social relief of distress, we did a documentary last year uh, with beneficiaries and people said we used it to start a small business and then as soon as we started making like 200 rand a month we lost the 350. Now that doesn't make economic sense. You're taxing, you're pe penalizing initiative. We don't want to do that. We want to say to people use this money, double it, triple it and we won't take away. In fact we should be incentivizing saying there's a biblical parable of this of the the, this, the talents. Uh, if you get 350 and you're able to triple it, then you get an additional 50 rand or something like that. We should be using seeing the state benefits as a very different in a different yep. way. There's also some fascinating research from Brazil last year, which showed that the multiplier, the economic return on each unit, let's say rand, um, spent by the state in unequal countries on social grants had an up to a five or six times return. So you don't get returns on, on any investment like that right now. So yep. there is a huge amount of research showing we need to embrace this social security as an economic e uh, policy and so start unpacking the legacy of inequality and the detriment and the destitution that that creates in so many families in South Africa right now. Thank you so much for your time. Isabel Fry is the founder and executive director of the Social Policy Initiative.